Okay. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, luckily for all of you joining, my voice is like 70% back. Um, the last two days, my voice uh, took a leave of absence and didn't send me the memo. <laughs> Unfortunately, so we're 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 almost back into working order with the voice. Um, as you guys have seen on the previous webinars we've done, I have Alden and Kevin here who are part of the Team BC sales team, and they're going to be uh, kind of joint hosting this webinar with me. And that's been the new format that we're going to do. We're going to present some information, ping pong back and forth, um, and and to even get right into it before I start with some other announcements. What what you said there, there was one key word, and everything that you said, Alden. Did you catch the word? What they feel, 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 right? And and we'll get into that during the webinar. But whenever somebody says, "I feel that it," pay attention, because if they made a logical decision based on what they believe to be information, and they say, "I feel," okay. First of all, when you say "I feel," you're referring to an emotion, not selling because you think the market is bad. Is that an emotion? No. So we don't even know how to communicate properly. So that person. That's a live example. Write this down, ladies and gentlemen, because this is this will change your life if you understand what I'm saying. They're grasping at straws to come up with an explanation. That's why they said, I feel and a bunch of stuff. That's not an emotion. That proves to you up here, they don't know why their home didn't sell. And they're giving what they believe to be a rational explanation of what they're trying to figure out. That right there lets you know they don't know. So what do we do incorrectly? We try to attack those statements logically. We attack those statements logically, but that, that's incorrect. You need to understand it from a step behind that. This is why I geek out so much about communication. What, how they linguistically put that sentence together lets you know they have no idea. So you can move forward calmly and confidently saying, hey, this person may believe that. They're trying to rationalize it, but that's not the truth. Uh, no, I don't have a cold. I haven't been sick. <laughs> oh man, I can't remember the last time I got sick. I just lost my voice. It's weird. Probably because I talk too much. <laughs> so <laughs> let's roll in. First thing I want to announce to you guys real quick. If any of you at any point throughout this webinar or even presently right now need help with objection handling or something and you need more hands-on help, this is what you can do. And I'm going to announce this throughout the webinar. You can go to my Instagram. I don't know if you can see it. Brian Casella fucking reflection. So basically my name here, B-R-Y-A-N-C-A-S-E-L-L-A, -L -L -A, right? Right here. Go to my most recent reel, this one, and comment skills, and we'll reach out to you to have a, a private conversation with you, okay? Go to this reel that you see here, the most recent one, and type skills in the comment section, okay? You can do it at any time. When it comes to objection handling, right? So we brought up that first point, feel. When you guys initially get your first objection, I want to start like this and I'll pass it to Alden first. And then Kevin, when you guys get your first objection, regardless if it's in the beginning of the call in the middle or the end, what's your immediate thought process? The moment you get your first objection, like what's your immediate reaction? Uh, I don't even really think of, think of it as anything to me. It's just a part of the call. Like when you, especially for expires and for sale by owners, like I literally expect it. You're almost never going to get a call where, they don't give you an objection. And it's really a good thing. And you mentioned this in some of the lectures, BC, where um, you're never going to, 
if they don't give you objection and they just constantly are giving you yeses, or if they're literally not interested, they're just going to hang up on you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, it's just like, to me, it's just a part of the call. So not only do I not, not get thrown off, it's just, I expect it. Yeah. To add to your point before we pass it to Kevin. Oh yeah. I'm calling about your house. No, I don't want to sell. And they're staying on the phone with you. If they Still really didn't want to sell phone, yeah. and, and they weren't interested, would they stay on the phone with you? No. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it further proves yeah. your point, Kevin. Uh, for me, I get excited. I'm like, Hey, this to me, it's like, Hey, this person's telling me they want to work with me. I just kind of have to figure out what it is that they don't like about the situation. And then that is the objection in itself. So it requires a little bit more digging, but as long as you're able to dig to that, uh, for me, like I said, I get excited. I'm like, Hey, here's my chance to shine. Let me show this person why I can be the best person to help them. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad Kevin added that because, you know, the reason I asked this first question is that's, that's the first thing, right? How you respond to the initial objection or the first moment where they say no, or they challenge you, however you want to, you know, categorize it. That says a lot because if you immediately think, oh, oh, or you become standoffish or you get too nervous or you, you, you fumble a little bit, that's going to come off in your responses. So in those moments, even if you say the right words, it's not going to come across properly and have the proper conviction. Right. And that was a big hurdle for me in the beginning was I would, I would be thrown off. Right. I'm like, Oh man, like, why can't they just say yes and agree? So to Alden's point, I almost wanted them to only say yes, but see, that's a deeper rooted problem because now you're coming into a a call trying to force your expectations on people. Right. I'm handling some of this internal stuff for you guys in the beginning, because nobody talks about this stuff and it's paramount in your ability to handle objections, right? Having an understanding of their psyche and then making sure that internally you never bend, break, or shake. And that's a focus for you for every call and interaction. That's already probably more than half the game right there, right? Like anything they give me, it's not going to elicit a, oh, oh, response, right? We know within a sale, you can get yes, no, or anything in between, and you need to be prepared for anything. So even if you get thrown an objection you've never heard before, like I, I remember one time I heard an objection where um, somebody really genuinely thought their house was haunted. <laughs> I'm serious. I ended up selling that house, by the way. But the seller was like, I don't have anybody giving me an answer on what to do with the haunted house. I said, look, look, at the end of the day, right? Have, and then we got into it. I was like, have you had experiences? Okay, we can, we can talk to the buyer, but really it's about making sure that we position this home, that even if that's on the table and people know that it's still valuable enough for them to buy it, right? So will it potentially complicate things? Sure. However, it can still be sold. And that's what you want, right? I never heard that objection before, but I said, you know what? We'll figure it out. And I gave him, it wasn't an amazing response, but I basically didn't feed into his craziness and I ended up getting an appointment. This is years ago. This deal was like probably six, seven years ago. And we sold that house for full ask. And the guy was just like, I can't believe you sold it. This house is like, he was, I never experienced anything, right? I never experienced anything when I was in that home, but he wholeheartedly believed it, but people wouldn't acknowledge it. I said, I acknowledge it. We're good, right? So you're going to be thrown a bunch of things. What The whole point of that last piece is, even if they throw you something you never heard of before, you don't have a script for, make sure your reaction isn't crazy, okay? So 
let's bring up some some current stuff. Have you guys, and we'll start with Alden again, have you guys been hearing stuff about like the interest rates um, or the softening of the market? And if you have, uh, what are maybe some things that you're saying or how you're approaching the conversation initially to make sure you can at least continue the conversation? Yeah, so the interest rate and the fact that these people's houses didn't sell is probably one of the more common ones I'm hearing with it expires. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, you know, we put our, and, and these are people who probably some of them were on the market actually during the, the heat of the market before interest rates rose. And they're, mm-hmm. oh, we only caught the tail end of the, the hot market. And now we've been on there and it didn't sell. So the market slowed down. It's like you were on there for two months when the interest rate were 3%. So what I usually do to continue the conversation is I'll usually ask about where they got the information. Mm. Oh, okay. You heard that the market was slowing down. Did you hear that? Did you hear that somewhere specifically? Did your agent tell you, tell that to you? Where did you get that information? And then they'll usually say what they say. And I'll say, oh, that's interesting because, you know, I actually sold four houses. And during that same time period that your house was on the market and, you know, three of them sold for above asking price. Now that you hear that information, now that you've heard that information, what are your thoughts now? So two things real quick. What if somebody is in your position, but they haven't sold houses? What would you say in that case? Um, If they would, if they hadn't sold houses, I would say if they're like, yeah, you know, our house has been on the market, I would probably say, um, I understand. Where did you hear that information? Oh, you know, our agent just told us that, you know, the house wasn't um, the, the market slowed down is why we didn't say, I was like, okay, great. Well, um, if you knew, I'm trying to think where I would go with it if I didn't, cause that's usually my go-to answer. I would probably say, well, what if you knew that, you know, houses were still selling? Cause you don't have to use my, your own stats, you know, what if you knew that, you know, the market still was moving and that people were still were selling houses for top dollar, even though yours didn't sell, would that change or how would you feel about that? Yeah. And they'll say, well, you know, that might not be true or that's not in our experience. Yeah. Well, if I, and then I would probably just say, well, if I could sit down with you and show you and I might test them out to see where they're at, see if they're interested. And then again, yeah. kind of calibrate it based on their response in the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. Kevin, you want to add? Uh, I would say um, I'm actually seeing a good comment here um, from Christian, but this is, this is pretty on par with what I would say is, would, would you agree that even though you think that houses aren't selling that some have, right? So that's uh, to me, that's a good way to, to position that as, as saying one. like, I know that you're saying that yours hasn't sold, but we know for a fact that houses have sold. So we know that they are selling, right? So wouldn't it be safe to say that maybe, maybe there's something uh, in the marketing or in the tactics or whatever you're doing to get the home sold. And then at that point I would pivot to let's, let's set an appointment, you know, set the appointment, let's set a time to get together. Let me show you what myself and my team can do and how we can actually get it sold for you. Love it. One point that I want to add to this, um, and this is a wrinkle you guys can add to your game is you want to unlock the ability, this is just in general, but specifically with objections to say, okay, if I had like, um, if I was to create like a gradient scale, meaning like I could turn a dial and either turn up the intensity or lower it in regards to the the bluntness or the directness of my response you guys want to cultivate the ability to either work your way up to a response in three steps or give them to them straight so if you guys look in the chat christian made a great question would you agree the houses have sold 
in our market in the last 30 days, right? That's a very just direct question, yes. How could we maybe look at that and maybe baby step our way there in case we have somebody who's maybe a little bit more passive, right? Or maybe feels like you're being standoffish if you ask them direct questions. Because you guys will agree that a lot of people that you deal with have wide ranging personality types. Some people, if you ask them a direct question, they back off or they get offended, even if you didn't deliver it that way, right? So that's a wrinkle in your game that you need to add. So as an example, um, you could even ask them a general question. I would say, look, it's unfortunate that your home didn't sell, uh, Mr. Seller. Did you notice any homes in your neighborhood or in your area that did sell during the time that you were on the market? Right. And then maybe that will get them to think, well, you know, I was driving around and they might say yes or no, it doesn't matter. But that's a less invasive question that I can ask to keep the conversation going to then lead me to Christian's question or another one that they said that Alden or Kevin said. So great. So other homes have sold. Now the question becomes really what was the disparity there, right? Because when we look at it objectively, during the same time you were on the market, someone else in your exact neighborhood was able to successfully get their home under contract and yours wasn't. So if, if we start digging into this, this situation, aside from the shifting market or the interest rates, what else do you think? If we were to go through the whole home and the situation with the fine tooth comb, what else do you think specifically maybe wasn't addressed or could have been addressed a little bit better? Now we're going to, I gave you a long-winded answer, right? But this is, this is a way for me to open up the conversation a little bit more in a long-winded manner versus just giving them a blunt response, right? And this is one thing that you guys always have to be fine-tuning in your game. There's going to be the people that you have to kind of slowly, step-by-step, step, walk them with your questions. And there's going to be other people like me, dude, just, just give it to me straight. Don't bullshit me, right? You want to come over and you can sell it? Okay. Alden, you got 10 fucking minutes. Let's go. And I'm starting the timer as soon as you walk in. That's the type of person I am. But there's people out there that are not that decisive and don't want that. So one thing I want you guys to take from here is work on that. If you guys have a question you ask people or an objection handler, ask yourself, how can I make this more direct? How can I make it less direct? And that would be a way for you to work on your communication skills and fine tune your objection handling so you can use the same in quotes objection an objection handler with different personality types. That's what makes you a lot more versatile, right? Can you give it to the hard-nosed New Yorker? And can you give it to the sweet lady next door who's in the South, who, if you just say hi, will talk to you for 30 minutes, right? And you sell to both effectively, right? That becomes the question. Cool. Um, do you guys have anything to add to that or are we going to move on? Um, usually the way I, when I soften my questions or approaches based on the person that I'm talking to on the phone, I usually just use softening words. Maybe, possibly, do you think it's possible that maybe some houses have sold in the last 30 days, even though yours didn't? That's like my approach. And I will ask different questions as well. But a lot of times when I am going to ask a question based on that person, it's either softeners or direct based on that person. Yeah. Kevin, you want to add anything or no? Uh, I would say uh, to all this point, definitely 100%. Uh, the the other secret to it is also in your inflection in your voice. So I know this is uh, still on the objection side, but making sure that the way that you're asking isn't like, hey, do you need to sell your house versus like, oh, have you thought about making a move in the last 30 days? You know, that type of stuff. And uh, that, that goes along the lines of, of softening as well. 
Yeah. And, and that's so key because if your emotional state is off, you won't deliver it properly. And I think a lot of people forget because everybody's so caught up with the words or the script or like Ali asked a great question. What info do you take to the listing presentation? Right. And, and we can kind of go back and forth right now on that, but I'll ask this question and then we'll open it up. Have you guys ever closed somebody at a listing based on the information that you presented to them? Because I haven't. Nah, me neither. <laughs> right? So what we what we mean by that, Ali, is it's your presentation and your delivery, not what's on the paper, right? There's visual cues, sure. But as an example, I do a standard listing presentation. When I show them the solds, those are three homes that sold, right? So I can say, if we had that conversation about the market, say, these homes sold, they went on the market, one of them before your home was up for sale. And two of these were after your home expired, meaning all of these homes sold before, during, and after your home was on the market. Is there any other clear indicator that the result can be had? And that's where I would leave it. And then you can go through it in your listing presentation. Now, if you guys don't have a listing presentation and you need the scripts, again, that's one other reason to go to my um, Instagram go to that most recent reel and type skills. Cause if we can get you on the email list, we'll get you a free training. If you need the scripts, we can send it to you and we can help you out on a more private basis. Right. But it's really about the delivery. Right. So as an example, Alden, what do you take to a listing appointment or an appointment with like a buyer or a seller that you find is helpful? Uh, usually I'll, I'll just take, I mean, I really just take a folder, some comps and sometimes I'll bring my laptop and no, I mean, I mean specifically, just, is there one document or one thing that you have used that is helpful aside from the classic stuff? I'm talking specifically, has there been like a, I don't know, like a special sheet or a visual that you're like, wow, people really respond to this. That's what I meant. Not Nothing, nothing really in particular. It's just mostly the conversation and the words that we talk about. Okay. So, and then I'll pass it to Kevin here in a second. If he has a recommendation, I, I kind of had a feeling Alden would say that because I feel, and again, this is just. This would be personal intuition for me. Mm -hmm. I noticed that the more confident and the more skilled that I got, the less I would look at things outside of me to be what convinces people, right? That's the if, exact way I view it. Yeah, if, if, if you guys get, get what I'm saying, like there's never gonna be a sheet that I hand somebody that they're gonna say, oh, you gave me the sheet? Oh, okay, Alden, yeah, you're, you're the agent, right? Forget everybody else. What you just showed me on the sheet is, right? It's always you. It's you, right? You have anything to add, Kevin? Uh, I would say not too much on that side. Um, the only thing, this is like a, a little tip in my actual folder. When I go to present, we we go to the actual table. Uh, I like to have a little sold uh, sticker or something inside the folder and it'll accidentally fall out. So that way I'm sub communicating that I can sell this house. Yeah. So I use that as like a little, a little test, you know, like it falls out. I'm like, oh, here, let me put that away. And then we go into the presentation. So that's just like a little, uh, I guess you'd say free game, if you want to call yeah. it. I love it, man. Like a couple of things I did, I'm glad you brought that up. I would bring the big red one that you would stick on the sign and I would hand it to them right when they open the door. I'm like, are you guys ready to be sold and move to North Carolina? And they would love it. Another one I would do is when I would knock and they would open the door, I would say like, let's say it was all in say, hey, Alden, you know what? While I was waiting out here, I was looking at the front lawn. Which side do you think is better for the for sale sign, the right or the left? I'm already... I'm already preemptively closing him. If he's like, oh no, the right side, because more people are going to come and see it. That's somebody who's already primed to be closed. 
Now, if he gets standoffish there, then, you know, okay, I don't, I don't have this guy yet. Right. Um, it's the same thing. Like when I would sit down, right. And everybody, if you do this digitally, that's fine. You can still use this tactic. But when I had everything, I would bring my notes and my listing agreement and all my paperwork stacked properly. Meaning at the top was my pre-qualification sheet that I would review at the beginning of the presentation, right? Boom. Right beneath that would be the comps because that would be the next thing that I would show in the presentation later on. Beneath that, the net sheet. And then beneath that, the listing agreement. So it's smooth. I already have everything stacked up properly. And when I'm presenting it and I move the sheet, it goes seamlessly into the next one. I'm not fumbling papers trying to find it. Everything is already stacked from top to bottom, exactly how I'm going to present it and how they're going to sign. Additionally, whether you do digital or in paper, wherever they sign, highlight it. Let them know. So I still do the paper. I was still doing the paper. I would say everywhere that I've highlighted requires a signature, right? So you've already subcommunicated everything and you have everything ready, right? Is there any other little tricks you have? I don't know if you have any, Alden. No, one of the biggest things that I'll say is I've gotten better at listing presentations and sales in general is that one of the things I was always afraid to do when I was newer was assu assuming everything. Like where you mentioned about which side, which side looks better on the first sale sign, you know, John, the, the left or the right. right. I would be afraid to do things like that. Or, you know, when we get started, just in your language is assumptive. And as I've gotten better, mm -hmm. I've noticed that it's almost because you're afraid to you're almost afraid to get the, the deal because you're not sure if you can help them to the best of your, their abilities or not. And as I've gotten better, my language has changed into almost assuming everything. And it, it yeah. really, it's kind of weird because things just go much smoother. And then when you do go to ask, you almost get less objections. You do get less resistance when you're going to ask for the close. Um, and everything just seems to be a lot smoother. Because that's the language and behavior of somebody who is confident and who's the expert. Because that, that's the mm -hmm. bridge that you guys have to gap, right? Uh, I think I said that backwards, right? That's the gap that you need to bridge. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you guys need to do, right? Look at somebody who you consider skilled. And let's say it's you, like a year from now or six months from now, okay, I'm, I'm way better skilled. What's missing? How would you walk into an appointment? How would you knock on the door? Those are the things you need to do. By just doing that, the amount of objections you get at the end lessens tremendously. In the beginning, almost every listing appointment, I would at least get some objections. After six months or a year, that went down at least like 50, 60, 70%. But everything about me was proper. It wasn't the words that I was using. It was a development of my skills, following the right systems, and having drilled the presentation over and over. So as we get into now, I'm going to probably do some role play with these guys a little bit and throw some stuff at them. If all of you on this webinar are serious about making your objection handling powerful, you need to be role playing just objection handling at least an hour a day for the next 90 days, five days a week. If you're willing to commit to that 90 days from now, you will be much better. Even without any additional help, you'll still make a jump. I was doing it two hours a day when I started six or seven days a week, right? Cool. So somebody asked about role play partners, right? We'll get to that in a minute because that, that's a great question. Again, if you guys need additional help, go to my Instagram, go to the most recent reel of me in the Miami suit and type skills in the comment section and we'll reach out to you and we'll help you, okay? So 
getting into the objections, what would you guys say is the most common objections besides these price commission? Probably what are you going to do differently? Um, I get that a lot. At the appointment, you get that? Oh, you're talking at the appointment. At the appointment. We'll do two separate Um, ones. We'll do at the appointment first, and then we'll do on the phone. uh, Probably the common objection. Oh, wait, you said on the phone first, the appointment first? At the appointment first. Probably, you know, what's funny is like, I would say probably the biggest thing that I get, it usually comes down to commission, but um, a lot of times you'll go through your appointment and, you know, they're listening and, and they're hearing you out. And then at the end, you'll go to ask for the signature. And this is my old, this is like how it would go for me in the past. We want to think about it. Okay, great. Why do you want to think about it? That's probably the most common one too. Cool. Why do you want to think? So what price do you commission, think? think about it. Do you have any yeah. to add Kevin or no? I want to think about it was literally what I was going to say. Okay. So um, let's say, because you brought it up at the end, think about it. How do you, because, you know, think about it. We don't really get help in regards to objection handling in the book. It normally just says, um, hey, ask them what they're thinking about and then pull out the real objection. Is there anything specific that you do when you hear, I want to think about it in order to entice them to give you the real objection besides like the deduction approach? Because we've heard that a million times. Yeah, I just thought I'd ask them, what is it specifically that you need to think about, you know, Sarah? Right. And, and what, what responses, if, oh, what responses do you get to that, Alden? Well, you know, so, sometimes I'll get, well, you know, we if it's a, a couple, well, we really like to talk, talk things out. So they'll continuously push you off. They'll just keep pushing you, pushing you off, pushing you off, pushing you off. Well, what is it specifically you need to think about, you know, Sarah? Well, um, we just, when we make decisions, we like to talk about them. Okay. Yeah. Totally understand. You like to talk about things. Um, obviously this is a big decision, isn't it? They'll say, yes. I'll say, okay, great. So, you know, the deduction approach, um, from that point. Cool. Okay. I know that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, were you going to add anything else or no? Oh, no, I was just going to say, then I'll usually deduce it. Um, You know, I I know, you know, usually when people need to think about it, it boils down to three things. Do you know what those three things are? And they'll say, I have no clue. Um, Number one is the price. You know, are we agreeing? Are we in agreement that, you know, 175,000 or 500,000 is the right price? Yeah. A lot of times they might, well, you know, we feel like that price is too low. Okay, now. Okay, great. Now I'm going to isolate it. Oh, okay. So you feel like that price is too low. Yeah. So other than the price being five hundred thousand, um, you know, we're in agreements that you know we're in agreements on everything out. And if we get to this, you're ready to get started. Is that right? And they'll say, you know, about whatever they say. So again, the deduction approach. I feel like that's the best approach, really, when you hear we want to think about it too. Yeah, because you're, you're looking to pull out the real objection. So what I'm getting at is a few things. You want to draw out the real objection. But number two, you're not saying any any word wizardry to get people to sign. It's not like you have a special objection handler. You're using the regular objection handlers. You're just seamlessly walking them through the process from I want to think about it to drawing out the real objection to then isolating, which is key. If you don't know what isolating is, this is isolation. So Alden, you brought up the price. Is that the only thing? And after we handle the price, you're ready to start today and put me to work? Yeah, other than the price. If he says yes, then that. If he says yes, we've isolated. If he says no, he's like, no, it's the price and the commission. Okay, after price and commission, we handle that. You're good to go, right? That's isolating. You guys, as basic as that is, I never hear people do it. Mm -hmm. Whenever you get an objection, 
isolate it immediately to be certain that that's the only objection. Otherwise, you're going to be on the hamster wheel of handling objections over and over. I want to think about it. The commission, your company, I don't like your suit. I don't like your car. You're going to get a bunch, right? Yeah. And, and a big thing too, when you get that, because sometimes you'll get people who will be like, oh yeah, you know, they'll kind of really be hesitant when they say it. And you know, they're hesitant. You can hear mm -hmm. in their voice, the hesitation, what they say. So I will always acknowledge that situation too. They'll say, maybe it's like, yeah, it's just the, or you say, is it just the price, Mr. Seller? If it's everything, if everything else is good, then we're in agreement. You're ready to get started. They'll say, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. Well, and then I'll just acknowledge the situation. It sounds like there might be something else, you know, what else is on, what else is bothering you, Mr. Seller? What else is there that, you know, might stop you from getting started that we could cover today that might um, yeah. make things easier for you to make the decision? Something along those lines, but acknowledging it when you hear the hesitation. Yeah. So Absolutely. one thing I want to add real quick before I pass it to Kevin is this, whenever you guys are in those situations and you want somebody to open up and you want like a get out of jail free card, this is something that I say that works hundred percent of the time. I say, okay, let's say they're being, oh, we're going to talk about it. Like we just like doing it in private and they give you that runaround. I say, look, I'm glad you're bringing this up, Mr. And Mrs. Seller. You know why? Let's say I leave and maybe not even tonight. Let's say tomorrow, one of you brings something up or has a question and I have to be present to answer it. What are you going to do? Now, someone's going to say, well, what if they say, we'll just call you. I can always go back and say, when we met, we agreed. Because this is what I do, right? Before you guys even walk in and they open the door, the way you preface this is you say this, Mr. and Mrs. Seller or Mr. Seller or Mrs. Seller, whoever it is, Mr. Alien, right? Mr. Ghost, if it's a haunted house, right? You say, thanks for having me over. Look, at the end of tonight, right? The whole goal is for us to decide today, tonight, if the right thing is for us to, to work together. Whether yes or no is totally fine. We just want to arrive at a clear decision. Fair? Always ask that question. Because now if they bring this up at the end and they say, oh, we'll just call you. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, remember we agreed at the beginning that we would make a, a definitive decision tonight? What if you forget things later tonight or tomorrow? What if I'm not available to answer your question? Then what are we going to do? The reason I ask these questions now is because I'm here and I can address every single last one of your concerns, which is ultimately what you would want from your agent, right? Who's going to then tell me no after that? At the very least, they're going to say, well, it's the commission. Oh, well, it's the price. And just like Alden said, you can walk them through the deduction approach. But what mm -hmm. happens for 99% of agents is you get uncomfortable and then you give them you give them the out and you leave. Yeah. This isn't about making them uncomfortable because when I do this, they don't get uncomfortable. What makes it uncomfortable is you being uncomfortable and then communicating from discomfort. That's what makes it uncomfortable because now you're clearly nervous and you're not calm. I'm not pressuring them. I'm just asking questions. If you deliver yeah. it right and you, and you have a good flow, right? But you guys have to be okay with this slight tension. This, this is what takes you over the top as an objection handler is when you want to bail, you stay a little bit more and you learn to be mm -hmm. comfortable in those little in-between moments where it's not comfortable, 
where maybe you don't have an answer, or maybe they're not giving you a clear answer. You ask them again. Those moments of a little bit of a slight discomfort is what separates the masters from everybody else. Would you guys agree? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the only way you get better at that is just sitting in those moments <laughs> and then asking the question that, you know, you're supposed to ask in that moment. Yeah. And you guys can role play it too. Yeah. You know, yep. have, have somebody give you the wall two or three or four times. Yeah. It's a role play. So it's not the same, but at least you're kind of simulating it. So in the moment, if you're nervous, the first, second or third time, you mm -hmm. already know what to say because it's automatic. Because that, that's what helped me in the beginning was I would be nervous, but I had role-played so much, it would just come out. Like, I already knew what to say. It was so ingrained in me that even if I was nervous and my conscious mind was shut off, all that stuff was so deep in my subconscious mind, it just came out. And even I was like, oh, wait, yeah, that was the right script. I wasn't <laughs> thinking about it because I was nervous, right? Cool. So I want to think about it, right? That's a big one. Number one two. of the other. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Oh no. Um, one of the other biggest things that I've gotten really from uh, handling that I want to think about it too is just by using their motivation, whatever they want to do, and asking them to. Usually after the deduction approach or after I've gotten it a couple of times, um, I get it, Mister Seller. You guys want to wait. You told me that you wanted to, you know, sell this property so that you could be in, you know, Tennessee. Did you not? And they'll say yes. And then I'll say, well, how is delaying this decision? Because you said you wanted to be there in 45 days, correct? Yeah. How is delaying the decision right now going to help you get to, again, and I'm just, the biggest thing that I would say in, in sales that not only lessens the amount of objections you get, lessens the resistance that you get when you're closing, um, and makes the overall process much smoother is just constantly hammering their hot button motivation. How is that going to help you get to Tennessee, which is what you said you wanted, so that you could, you know, be in Tennessee with your grandkids and stop, you know, wasting, you know, the rest of the time you already said you missed out on with your grandkids. All right. Go on. Always back to the there. motivation. I love Always it. back to the motivation. Cool. Um, how about price? I know logistically we don't have a CMA here, but, um, you know, and before I pass it to you guys, what I realize when you guys are discussing price with people, it comes down to your expertise and confidence against theirs. Mm -hmm. And if they mm -hmm. feel like you even have an ounce of weakness, they're going to stay by their price. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Is it, is, is, comes, at that point, it wouldn't even matter what, like, uh, what stats you gave them because they feel that uncertainty in you. And people mirror what, we're, when we're around people, we mirror others. So if you're going to be uncertain, then it's going to be very hard for your seller to want to sign because they're going to feel uncertain. Yeah. So this is one thing you guys got to do a couple, couple of easy tricks. When you guys are, you already know this because in the presentation, you ask them, what price do you feel would be the right price? That's great because from a psychological standpoint, that's very effective because you're making them say it right now where people mess up is if you haven't asked for the seller to engage with you at all through the whole presentation, and then you ask them that it's not going to go well. So what I do is when I'm going through the CMA with them, I won't make them say everything, but I'll for sure make them say the price of all the homes that I'm showing them, the solds, because that's the key. I want them to say the prices, right? When you guys have your CMA, whether it's on your phone or your, your written paper, the one that's going to be the one that you use as the, like, okay, this is the one we're going to use as the most uh, 
good comparable, have that one highlighted, have arrows on it, star it, right? And with your pen or your finger, point, right? That way you anchor everything as that point of emphasis, meaning this is the one, right? Because that's speaking to their subconscious mind. And that's what I want. I want to like, I'm talking almost to the point of ridiculousness, get the little sticky notes, like as a Mr. Seller, obviously you can tell, I didn't want you to miss this one. Right. So I even make a joke out of it, but I say, look, this is so important because we have to base our strategy on facts. Would you agree? And they're going to have to say yes. So again, if you're getting people questioning it, I say, look, Mr. Seller, this isn't my opinion. This isn't your opinion. This isn't what we think. This is the market and the market has a set figure, correct? Right? Because when people challenge you, they think that you're giving a price. And this is the last piece. Be very certain when you guys are talking about price that you're not saying, I think, you know, like any of those words that would, that would show that you're uncertain. Everything has to be matter of fact. There's no um, like, well, I think, no, none of that. Because even if they ask, what do you think? I would say, well, there's what I think, Mr. Seller, and there's a reality. And I specifically, to make sure we get sold and get you to Tennessee, I want to make sure that we focus on reality. Cool? That's how I, even if they tell me, what do you think? I don't answer that. I go right back to reality, the facts, the numbers. Because now later, if someone, uh, let, let, let's say, and, and I can start passing this to you guys too. Let's say they say, well, another agent, you know, um, said they could get me more, right? Like if I said that to you, Alden, what would you say? Because I already know a million things that I would say. I would say, did he tell you that? Or did he show you? I would usually ask, did he show you exactly how he came up with that price? Uh, let's say they say, well, yeah, you know, he just had different comparables than you. Okay. And you've looked at the comparables that I showed you, right? And it all made sense. And you can agree that where I came up with you know, where we came up with, you know, $500,000 that that is the right price, correct? And so yeah. I usually, personally, I bring it back down to, I usually bring it back to me when I, and, and like why this makes sense based on what I'm telling you. And usually when I run price scenarios, I would, I usually run like um, hypotheticals. Okay, great. Well, let's say that we do put, you know, let's say that this guy put your house on the market for 550,000, which he told you he could sell it for, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Let's say that, you know, you, you put it on the bark for that price and, you know, you get, you're on there for two weeks and you don't get a single showing. Are you going to be okay with that? Whereas, are you going to be okay when he comes to you two weeks later and he says, you know what, we need to, to, um, you know, make a price adjustment downward. So now you've been on the market two weeks and you're chasing the market downward. Does that sound like it would be a good scenario for you? Yeah. That's usually the way I would do it, you know, personally, but. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much. Did you want to add anything, Kevin? Yeah, I would say I would ask them, okay, cool. First, you want to find out, did this agent tell you that over the phone or did they, did you actually meet with them? Like if this, if they're not meeting the same way that we are face to face, that, I mean, their, their point is moving. Somebody can talk all day, but talk is cheap. So you want to show them the actual data. Um, from there, the only other thing that I would say is sometimes agents that are desperate for listings or sometimes agents that, that really need a listing will, tell, tell sellers an outlandish figure just to get the listing. So again, you want to ask these people, Hey, this person that's giving you this information, what are their stats? How do they compare to what, what myself or my team, if you're on a team, what my team is doing, 
Mm. And that's how you can get over that with, with just your figures. Yeah, that's good. The, the whatever it takes line. You know that some agents <laughs> will do um, whatever it takes to get listings. Do you know what I mean when I say whatever it takes? Like usually, because I, I remember you telling me that, and I've used that once or twice um, in listing appointments. They'll so yeah. yeah, they'll do anything. Yeah, yeah. So that is something I've used yeah. once or twice in listing appointments. But right, um, there, there's a few more. Right, like one, I would say, okay, um, this this is another one that this hits people emotionally, but it's very much so rooted in logic. I would say, okay, Mister Seller. This last comparable that we agreed on and that's on this list for your home, right? They're going to say, yeah, what, what about it? I said, okay, we're in 2022, almost 2023. All of this, it always has been, but even more so now, it's readily available to anybody who pulls up their phone. Yes? I'm going to say yes. It's public information at this point, right? And it's everyone can see it. Meaning buyers coming to your home already know this prior to walking into your house, correct? So you list it with the other guy at this price, 10% higher. And a buyer loves your home, that buyer who's going to be like, we want to submit an offer. And they walk up to you in the agent and say, hey, the same comp sold two doors down for 500, but you guys want 550. We're going to submit an offer at 500. What are you going to tell them? When they say, why should we pay you 50,000 more for your home? I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to say something like, well, my house is special. Of course. of course. And then after whatever they say, I say, okay, let's flip it. You're the buyer. Are you going to pay 50,000 above what a neighbor two doors down sold for? Okay. Let's say you do. Appraiser comes next week, 500,000. And the seller says, I'm not going to budge. You have to come 50,000 out of pocket. Are you going to do it? Right. And let's say they take it to the extreme. Well, we're looking for that needle in the haystack buyer. Say, great. You know, I can go to Vegas as well, but am I going to win? Hmm. So the question becomes, you want to be in Tennessee in 60 days, Mr. Seller. Are you willing to roll the dice on that? goes right back to the motivation. Is the one in a million chance of, of getting maybe an extra five or 10% magically, let's say it's possible. Is that worth it to potentially not go to Tennessee or be there two years from now, three years from now, and basically throwing that out the window? Right? Now, I, I, I rang this one out. I've never had anybody challenge me on that point, just so you guys know. I just drug it out in case somebody tells me, because now they have to come to a decision, right? Because it, it's true. It's, you're going to Vegas, right? It's probably not going to happen. And that's why I brought up the appraiser. Okay, they pay you. Appraiser comes back. Well, I want them to be cash. It's like, okay, bro, now we're making a fucking Disney movie. You want somebody to pay you 10 or 20% above market value, and you want a cash buyer? Like, come on, bro. Remember we talked about earlier fantasy land. We're in fantasy land now because, and you can tell them, be straight with me, Mr. Seller. If you had that, if you had $550,000 in cash, would you just throw it around and spend extra money if you don't have to, or are you going to be diligent about every purchase that you make? Right. You can always, what they fail to consider that you guys always have to reiterate on is the other perspective. 
put them in the shoes of the other person with good questions. That's what it is. I have no problem dragging that objection handler out if I have to. And I have, have I had to do it? No, not at a listing appointment. I'll have many versions of this conversation with speculators at the door. Oh, I would sell my house for 10% of market value to a cash buyer, but that's not an appointment. At an appointment, you're not going to get that extreme level unless you didn't qualify them. I just drug it out so you guys can hear it, right? Because that's what it is. And say, look, as an agent, right? Let's go back to the beginning and I'll do this objection handler again. You agree with me. Those are the comps, right? So how could I, as an agent, come up with other numbers to give you a higher number? Why would I do that? Well, you brought up other comps. It's like, well, but, but this is the comp. This home that we circled right here is nearly, aside from a few differences, nearly identical to your home. Because remember what we brought up earlier, the appraiser? That's the number one comparable that an appraiser is going to look at right there. That's going to base the valuation of your home. So there's no getting around that. That's fact, right? So you have to ask yourself, why would somebody say that to you? I'm presenting reality of the market. You agreed. Why would anybody present you anything otherwise? That's a more eloquent way to say what Tyler said. Weak agents give fake numbers. Strong agents give the price that it'll actually get sold at. Right? That's a great one if you're talking to me, what Tyler said. Right? If you're saying it's probably half or three quarters of your clients, it's, it's not going to be as effective because it's too direct. It's a good one if used correctly. You guys want to have that wrinkle in your game where you know if you have to be more logical, draw things out a little bit, explain it a little bit better, ask them tough questions. That's the key. You guys have anything more to add to that? No, I mean, you pretty much covered the, I mean, you yeah. pretty much crushed it. Does it occur when comps are not relative to the subject property? Well, I get that question frequently, but when does that happen? Like the only time I can remember that is maybe when I've sold like two, three, four, five million dollar homes. The vast majority of transactions you guys are going to do in regular subdivisions and regular residential resale are going to have a comparable. What I find agents do it, and I'm not saying this is you, Alfonso. I'm just saying this in general. Most agents overcomplicate doing comps for a property. Like, like this is what an appraiser told me, right? You have three, I would write this down. You have three basic, you know, general categories. One is like needs a lot of upgrades, right? This is barring like a teardown. That's its own thing. But generally speaking, for a regular home, you have needs upgrades, right? Needs repairs, not, not that great. Needs TLC, right? And that's a sliding dial. You have decent condition, not upgraded, right? Fair. And then you have upgraded magazine remodeled. Those are the three categories you're looking at, right? So if you're going to look in a neighborhood, take a look. What's the difference between a home that needs a lot of work in this neighborhood, one that's in decent, fair condition, and one that's really upgraded? Find that gap. Then ask yourself, where does the subject property that I'm looking at fall in, in that category or in between one? That's fine. Aside from that, appraisers, this came out of a mouth of multiple appraisers to me. They said, we're looking for properties first within 10% of the square footage, right? So your initial search, if it's 3,000, look between 2,700 and 3,300. And I guarantee you, you'll find something, right? Those two things will eliminate 99% of the problems you have with, with doing comparables, right? Because if you want to nitpick it, it's just, it's a waste of your time. It really is, right? 
Anything else you guys want to add to that one? No, I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Commission, yeah, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick, Kevin. Make sure you guys go to my Instagram, Brian Casella, just like here. Go to this post, this reel, and type skills if you guys are looking for more help, and we'll reach out to you, and we'll schedule something privately, okay? Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, that was it. I was agreeing with Alden. I say you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> okay, cool. The last ugly monster from the closet we need to pull out, the commission. You guys just do standard commission objections or is there some I mean, secret secret wizard sauce from Harry Potter that you can grant us to to get six and seven percent commissions? No, I wish I could say that, but yeah, mine's just standard. Same thing with you, Kevin. Uh, I, I would say the stuff that, that I got, it was all um, through learning through like our group, but the stuff that we have is very powerful and I know it to be effective. Uh, if you want, I can give an example. Yeah, sure. Yeah, perfect. So I would say if someone's, if someone's drilling you about the commission, obviously, you know, the, the price and what they walk away with is the most important, but in those situations, if they ask you to, to budge on it, I like, I like the approach that I learned here, which is basically saying, Hey, like as an agent, this is how I make my money. This is how I put bread on the table. This is how I eat. So if I'm not willing to, to work for my own money and my own livelihood with you, Mr. Seller, or Mrs. Seller, and be, and be strong and firm with you, what do you think is going to happen when agents start sending me offers and they want to start knocking me down? Am I going to defend your property and your equity? Or do you think I'm going to give it away just the way I, same way I'm giving away my livelihood? Yeah. And that's a great point, bro. Cause you know, whenever you guys, are working with a potential client, one of the reasons, if you didn't know, or maybe you know, but you don't, you don't emphasize it, is they're hiring you to be a negotiator for them, right? You're the front runner, meaning if an agent calls you or emails you, they don't see that. That's all private. You could be giving away their equity. You know how many agents I've called on a $500,000 house? Bro, send us an offer at 475, he'll take it. He just gave away 5% of your equity. You'll never know it. Right. So I can give you an objection handler for that, which I'll give you at the end, but understand the psychology. So what he said would be, Mr. Seller, you're hiring me to protect your equity, right? Now, right now you're asking me not to protect mine. If I give up my equity, will I give up yours? Well, no. So you expect me to give away my money, but then no, I'm going to protect yours. Now, even if I told you I would do that, if I actually gave away my money, do you believe I would actually fight hard for your equity. That, that, that's, a, that's an interesting position to put a seller in, right? Because it has to dawn on them. Now, going back to what I pre previously said, right? I say, like, Mr. Seller, one of the reasons, this is the objection handler, right? Mr. Seller, one of the reasons you hire us is for negotiations, correct? Now, there's one interesting fact about the negotiations. Are you aware of, of how they go down? No? Well, Aside from me calling you or presenting to you offers or, or rebuttals, you know, requests for repairs, that the communication I have with the other agent is between me and them, right? They're going to say, yeah. So the same agent or anybody who would give away their commission or who their value add is, I'll offer a discount. Meaning the only way I know how to make a deal is by offering a discount. What do you think those conversations are going to sound like when buyers and agents are calling them about your house? You think they're going to say, we won't take a penny less or, 
hey, send me an offer at uh, 475. I think the seller will take it. Which one do you think it's going to be? Right? Now, those situations, like we mentioned earlier, could potentially create a little bit of tension. I'm okay with that because that's purposely put in. And all I'm saying to you guys is not a magical script. It's facts. Because if you haven't heard that or dealt with it in your market, you soon will. Because I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations, probably thousands at this point with agents throughout my transactions and my agents' transactions. And it is unbelievable to me how many shitty agents are out there that will give up their seller's equity. And I'm sitting there like, wow. Those are the same people that get a million dollar listing. And then the, the, the front main picture is them taking the picture outside of their window in their car of the front of the house. And you're like, wow. And you can see the reflection in it. You're like, dude, how lazy can you be? Right. Cool. You guys have anything to add to that? No, I use the, that's what I use is the pretty much um, what's the number one skill you look for in an agent, or you think that you would need an agent that's going to not only make you the most money, but protect all of your equity. And that's like the intro that I use on do it. And I just say, you know, the same thing you just said, if I you know, were to give up my equity right now, how strong do you think I'm going to be protecting you and your equity, John? Yeah. Good. And then, you know, about the agents giving away to make a discount, same thing. Um, you know, do you really want to work? You really want to trust somebody to sell your biggest asset that you've spent all these years working for that, you know, with an agent who only knows how to make a deal by offering a discount. Yeah. Because I can give you numerous examples of times where I've made my sellers an additional 10, 20, 30, $40,000 just off of one little negotiation technique or approach. Yeah. Love it. And I just, I just kind of defend it that way with examples. Yeah. Basically, you guys are saying you defend it. You don't just bend or break or offer a discount. You're going to mm-hmm. be steadfast with your commission, right? Mm-hmm. Love it. Kevin, anything? No, I'm right there with you. That's, I think that's such a, such a powerful and effective tool to say, like, look, dude, you're hiring me to, to protect your equity and your assets, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm here to do. But I'm also going to protect mine because I know I'm worth every single penny, and that's the best way to put it. And then from there, you just let your mouth be closed and let them let it marinate in their mind. You know, yeah. they'll figure it out. And I, I read an interesting thing in a book one time. I was talking about commission and it said that you need to do in order to make up the difference between, you know, the amount of deals you need to do between five and six percent, a one percent increase in commission or a one percent decrease. You have to do an additional like 42 percent more deals just off of one percent to make the same amount of money. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. Smart. You just got to look at the averages though, you know? Cool. So again, go to my Instagram guys and, and check out this reel and comment skills. If you want some more support and help, we'll reach out to you. This reel on my Instagram, right? It's my name. That's my handle. Also, if you guys want to drop your link, if you guys want to set up a quick strategy session, a chat, and you need more help, because you'll be able to talk more in detail about some of these questions you have. So let's go through them. Um, where can we find good role play partners if not on a team? You need to join a community like Distinguished Agent or if you can find something similar, which I've never found. You need to get around good people. Now, I couldn't find that in the beginning, Michelle. So what did I do? I created the community. That's what you need. I don't know if you guys have any other suggestions as I go to the next question. 
I mean, that's where I get all my role play partners. <laughs> um, yep, how many definitely. expired should I make calls to get an appointment or listing? That depends on your skill, your market, and the type of expired that you're calling, bro. I can tell you mm -hmm. at my peak, at my peak of skill, every seven conversations I was having with new expires, I could set an appointment at my peak when I was tracking it. That was only tracking call, first call to appointment. Now, if you track call to lead, to follow up, to appointment, that's a different metric, but I'm just giving you the one. If I just track live conversations to one call appointment at my peak, that's what, that was my average. Now, is anybody else going to do that? Probably not because you have to be really fucking good to do that. And I had a lot of experience. I'm talking bona fide appointments too, not BS appointments. However, if you guys set that as a goal, make that a goal, not a commitment. Because if you're new, you're going to get your ass kicked and you're not going to set an appointment every seven conversations and then you're going to get down on yourself. So one of the reasons I sometimes don't like answering that question is because I give people a number. Oh, every 50 doors I knock on, I'm going to get a deal. Well, what if you don't? You're not, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. You guys have to understand that these numbers are averages. There was days where I wouldn't set appointments with expireds. And then there was days where I would set three or four in one hour. The average was one out of seven. You get it? Cool. Will this recording be sent out? Yes. Method of objection handling to set appointments for non-expired listings. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. I would just say you guys have to have a basic follow-up script and use their motivation to set the appointment. Okay. We're about a yeah, month, we're about a month away from you wanting to get your home on the market and ready. Let's put something in the calendar, right? Like, like, Objection handling. I mean, uh, what objections would they give you if it's a non-expired? Uh, I want to talk to the wife. Okay, great. Go talk to her. Let's pencil it in and I'll confirm with you tomorrow for 5 p.m. Cool. There you go. What else do you guys get from non-expireds? I mean, anytime, anything that I get from a non-expired usually is just going to be either like, I'm just going to find out what exactly is holding them back. You told me that you wanted to sell. You mentioned mm -hmm. last time we spoke, you wanted to sell You know, in 45 days or you wanted to be on the market in 45 days, correct? So if that's the case, then we need to get the process started now. When are you available? And if they say no, it's like, well, you just told me that's what you wanted. What's stopping you? What's holding you back from, you know, what's the real objection, Mr. Seller? Yeah. Um, uh, I, th I think for me on the non-expired side, uh, especially right now during the holidays, you'll get a lot of people that say they're just going to wait till next year or because of the holidays, they feel that they're not going to get mm -hmm. the exposure to their home which is a yeah. complete farce. That's not true at all. Yeah, absolutely. That would just require us gathering our data and knowing our facts, right? Mm -hmm. Like if somebody says they're going to wait, oh, because you know people don't sell during the holidays. I would have already known before I got on the phone how many homes sold in my area or in my MLS in the last day. I could be like, well, Mr. Seller, in our county, uh, 53 new listings came up for sale. Uh, 150 went pending and there was 300 closed sales just in the last 24 hours. So what does that tell you about our market today? Right. But that would require you knowing that number, <laughs> right? This is how you get past some of those objections. Another one, throw this line to people that tell you they don't want to set an appointment. What's the biggest disadvantage to you setting an appointment with me today, Alden? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to make a decision, right? Like that's the disadvantage. You have to actually commit to something in your life, <laughs> which I know you're not used to all then, right? Like, again, if we're just messing around, but throw that question, 
You don't want to set a meeting. I get it. Alden, what's the biggest disadvantage to you setting up a meeting to discuss the sale of your home? And you'll get blanks from people saying, great. Now, I wanted to ask that just to show you. All we're going to do is have a conversation and discuss this further. Are you available tomorrow at five or would seven be better? Because then they have the realization like, oh, I have no objection. I was just saying no. You guys have to understand the average person today, we talk about this all the time, is extremely indecisive. I mean, it's just nuts. Yes, I want that. Yes, I need it. But I'm not going to buy it. Like what? Everybody's like that. 99% of people. It's insane. So you're going to have to walk them through it. Okay. Um, let's see. Tyler, in regards to your question, uh, go to the Instagram and set up a call with us because that's that's a little different. That's going to require a little bit more um, talk and help. Um, how many times do you have to close to get the signature? They say on average it's three to five. If you guys have any questions, you can bring them out now. But we're only going to be on a few more minutes. Three to five, I think, is on average um, to close. But um, as you get better, you're not going to have to ask three or five times. I would say by the time I finished, um, I wasn't asking more than two or three times and I was getting it signed. I don't know what your guys' experience is. Uh, it depends on the person. Usually, I mean, I never want yeah. to ask more than five times personally, but. I, I think that's just uh, kind of the secret of sales, right? Like very, very rarely are you going to get somebody who is ready to go right now. If you do, that's kind of like a unicorn. Consider yourself lucky. You get you landed a unicorn, you know. Other than that, you may have to put them in your database. But if you're willing to get the appointment, and they're willing to meet with you. That's really the the gold uh, in this industry is setting those appointments and then building your skills to the point that you're closing them. Yeah, and and that's the first segue as an agent. If you're not consistently setting three, four, five, I would say even five appointments a week. Not even that you're attending, but just setting. If you're not consistently setting an appointment a day you're still at the first bracket of an agent, right? Like, cause you don't have consistency yet. Cause without an appointment, a qualified appointment, I'm going to make an asterisk or a qualified appointment. You have nothing, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a hundred leads that said they're going to sell, but you have no appointments, you have zero, you have nothing, right? So those of you, um, you can check out the link there to get on a strategy call. Um, if you want more help, Go to my Instagram right there. Go on that reel and type skills. We'll reach out to you. We can have a private conversation. We'll send out this recording. If any of you guys have more questions about, um, you know, myself or anything, we can offer you the community distinguished agent or any of the stuff that we have to offer. You can also reach out to myself or Alden or Kevin directly. You can set up a strategy call. Just make sure you let us know and we'll, we'll schedule accordingly with you guys. Okay. You'll also get an email follow-up with all this information as well. Okay. Any Final words of wisdom, Alden, Kevin, before we wrap up? Uh, the biggest thing I would say in, in today's market is a lot of times when I am making these calls, the biggest thing, like I almost disqualify the person multiple times just to make sure that they are serious. Because if you go on these appointments with expired for sale by owners who are just in La La Land, yeah, that would have been cool. Maybe like, you know, the last year, maybe even, you know, the last couple of years, but now, if people aren't seriously motivated and they say, I'm ready to go and I'm ready to sell the property, it, you need to have serious or you're just going to be wasting your time. Uh, I would say for me, the big one, don't take anything personally. Uh, don't take anything personally in business. Just do, you know, do your due diligence. But uh, to Alden's point, when you got somebody who just seems like they're gung-ho about a certain price or they're just not willing to move forward or whatever, 
try flipping the script on them. Uh, I know that's just something we learned is negative suggestions. You say, okay, well, great. It sounds like you love your house. Why would you want to move then? So don't be afraid to use the question in the opposite way mm -hmm. and see how they respond to that. Right. Yeah. Cool. And all right. Anything else? Reach out to us, comment skills on that reel, schedule the call with Alden, but we'll send you guys a follow up email as well. All right. Peace.